Welcome to the Second Chance Podcast, where we explore the deeper inner workings of the human psyche and new ways to reinvent and invent ourselves for the better, for the wiser, for the more rational, and the happier and more contented. Let's um, let's start this discussion with the topic of wisdom, knowledge rationality, the topic of using our minds an analytical structure that can feed to the betterment of our lives and our relationship with the world itself. This is a phenomenon that wasn't always here. It's something that's been broad, it's been invented, it's a cultural construct. The ancient, ancient world did not live in an abstract, rational mind, but rather everything was experienced in relationship to the self and only relevant information was discussed and nothing could was pursued for the sake of knowledge and truth. But rather, truth was what speaks to their own being most. That was what was true, and any other forms of truth were irrelevant, so they, it was disregarded. Not that it was, not that it is, uh, a non-factor of existence, but rather there was no justification for the pursuit of their being towards um, said analysis. As we've evolved, as we've come to use our minds more and more in such a manner, um, separate from our bodies, separate from what our deep experience of being was calling for, we we became able or willing to put aside our experience of self to to just live in an abstract um, world, an abstract state of mind, and in doing so, we we disembodied the the mind from being. And it gave us a massive advantage over the ancient world. Now we're able to spend and dedicate our lives to the study of the world phenomenon as we know it and come to conclusions that transform the way we live and bring advances that that um, revolutionize entire structures of society and and make available the, the 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 biggest struggles of man become available more readily and speedily that being the case the disadvantage is that we have people roaming this earth who don't seek what they're 
inner being is craving or speaking. In fact, the voice is put to a minimum, if any, and rather finds a pursuit. You know, a physicist, that's his pursuit, that's her pursuit. And in doing so, becomes deeply separate from, from their, their true self. That being the case, the advantages are, are very, very, very uh, clear and apparent, and the disadvantages are very um, clear and apparent. To repeat, the advantages are a transformative society of every possible need that the human wants, whether it be health, whether it be amenities, necessities. Everything becomes transformed when we have humans roaming the earth, being able to dedicate their mind to a specific task, to its completion, without reevaluating themselves within it on a constant basis. The disadvantages are people that have lost touch with the ground that they stand on. They've lost touch with the body they reside within, and they've lost touch with the, the subtle heart that speaks a different language than the language they've learned to articulate and, and construct. So what do we do, right? You have... Whenever you have a dilemma of such magnitude where you have two sides, two opposing sides, massive advantages, dreadful disadvantages, where where do we go from here? What do we do? Do we return to the ancient notion of being where only what the soul craves is what the mind explores? Do we become ancient again? Or do we continue in our abstraction, enjoy the the revolutions that we've we've come to enjoy, um, not just enjoy, we've come to um, live within, we've come to experience, we've come to prosper, and take that hit, take that, um, accept the sacrifice of those disadvantages become, in a way, computational and less human-like. And that, that's the ready, that's the, that's the course we, we are willing and clearly setting for ourselves. So, let me just um, build a futuristic model of those two societies. So a society, well, a collective, a majority collective that begins to go back to the ancient ways of complete embodiment. Abstraction is a curse on man. Anybody who lives in a world of abstraction is, is immediately recognized because 
the subtlety of one who doesn't live in abstraction, the the sense, the heightened sense of life will immediately web out the the one living the deception of the abstraction on their own soul and all their words will be mingled with it, all their um all their sentiment that comes out of their entire expression will be clear as day and eventually the cultural shift will be so powerful that no one can resist and we've returned to the ancient ways of being. What does that look like? What does that future look like? Well, first there's a decline of health, a decline of the benefits of modernity and the study of science, the study of things to its fullest. So that that will take a hit. People will die younger. There'll be more illness. Food, water, energy will be less available. Um, all the physical comforts that we enjoy will eventually fade because we won't have engineers knowing what to do because the engineers are only dealing with the relevancy in their souls. We won't have we won't have anybody that will know how to construct the technological advances that we've come to know because they've all returned to themselves and only what is relevant to themselves. And electricity and supply of water will will fade in the deeper um, chambers of the soul that don't necessarily crave such such things on a constant basis. And no one is willing to persistently pursue that every day to make society available to these amenities. So we will go to the ancient world in a very real sense. But the advantages of this futuristic world is that everybody will be deeply available emotionally and physically to each other. Conversations will always have a a deep experience to them. Every word will have transformation involved within it. Good and evil will be clear. You will know the good. You will know the evil. It's, it will be right in front of you. You'll know your neighbor as someone who is good, and you'll know your neighbor as someone who is bad just by your subtlety and their subtlety. They won't hide it because they don't know the world of abstraction that brings all that deception. It will be in front of them. Now, granted, no ancient society was devoid of abstraction completely, but I'm talking in a general sense. The society that will come forth to you will be one of vitality, 
but one of short-lived. One of depth, but not of quantity. There won't be six, seven, eight billion people in the world because that could only happen with abstraction. Quantity does not come from quality. If you live a qualitative life, there will automatically be a, um, a decline of quantity in population, in pursuits, in attention, in every area that can be quantitative and qualitative. So this is the world of the non-abstraction. Now, let's see the futuristic world of that which is that which is a uh, our current state of true abstraction, intelligence beyond all. We have humans that are willing to sacrifice their whole life for a specific endeavor that will benefit the entirety of society. We have our engineers and the supply is available and we can enjoy the modern world as, as it's brought forth to us. What does this look like futuristically? Well, the abstraction will only get worse. More disembodiment, more separation of soul and mind, heart and mind. Soon, the abstract theories and understandings will lack the, the awareness of being within them, and they will be formulated without great intuition, without the comparison of many scenarios in an experiential way. The scientists will become less and less readily available to compare the theory to his or her own experience because that's an unlearned territory. It's unknown. So soon the that information square will start to crumble because of such abstraction. And then failures will be made, which we're seeing and which we will see, where the pursuit of something brings the goal that they've intended, but since they're not attending to the, the meta um, experience of that pursuit, what, what that's going to result in with two, what will evolve to be is a destruction. Because if you have millions and millions, if not billions of people pursuing things their entire life just for the sake of pursuit in an abstract form, they will reach places that will give society huge problems. One being uh, a terrible virus, two being um, extreme destructive warfare, 
three being um, terrible ideas of our existence that brings us more nihilism and more hatred of our own value and others. What will happen is that the abstraction will begin to um, disassemble society as we know it and put us in many different scenarios of existential threat which eventually will lead to actual majoritative annihilation of populations. And, and not only that, will annihilate the, the love of being that is required of the continuation of our species to also break down. So what is left of that physical annihilation will be met with uh, mental annihilation as well. So I've mapped out the scenarios that will play itself out in, in the extreme form. The scenario of abstraction and the scenario of the re-embodiment of, of all components, including the, the mind. Now, our society at the current moment is not leading to an extreme form of abstraction. Actually, recently I've noticed, and I'm sure many others have noticed, a revolution of sorts to return to a sort of embodiment and get, get away from that extreme form of abstraction which will cause devastation and destruction to our beings. A great example of this, and don't mind if I deviate a little bit, is an AI, artificial intelligence. If anybody has ever watched the movies, the series of Transformers, they will know that they will know that the devastation from machines. And when we say machines, we mean the intelligence within the machines that are equipped with power, physical power, and at some point mental power, is a true threat. Now, it's also symbolic to our internal struggle and societal struggle. And I will allude to that in a second. The computation era first began with just knowledge, just information, the one and zero, and then was met with problems, problems that consisted of having a vision of creating the, a replica of what we experience as humans in the hopes of whatever visions they've uh, laid out and health and all the modernity cravings. And since that was met, and since it's a, a billion-dollar industry, 
the smartest of minds were tackling this for many years. And obviously at some point they are, or they, they are already realizing that you need to place a value structure in the computation in order for it to become sort of autonomous. For once they value things, they know how to approach the world. They value the human more than the bed. They value certain humans over other humans. You would have to imprint them with a certain value structure if they were going to navigate completely within the world. If they have a choice between protect the baby or protect the mother, protect this bystander versus that, they have to make decisions. So they have to be imprinted with a value structure to navigate properly. And they will be imprinted with that. Now, besides the discussion of how they initially become imprinted and who gets to decide what value structure the computation gets, at some point, we're going to have to imprint them with their learning, a learning system to create their own value structure. Because we can't just have a universal model Values need to change, right? If you imprint a value structure that, you know, respects respects the, the autonomy of the opposite sex of whatever they become to be defined in our certain societal norms... And then our societal norms change to be more um, more embedded with the value of sexual uh, respect or more than that, uh, respecting the impulse of sexual nature as the epitome of the human being and doing so that becomes more valuable than the respect of boundaries. Meaning the honor of romance is more valuable than the honor of the boundaries set to protect those that will be hurt by romance. And that's two completely and opposite values that many in society will either have one or the other. They need to be equipped to learn that development of value. Because values continuously change and we can't just reprogram computation on a consistent basis. And we won't be able to follow at that rapid pace. So what, what the end result will be will, will be a, a value structure within the AI that has their own learning process in creating new value structures. And this is where the threat comes. Once we will inevitably reach that milestone, I wouldn't call it a milestone, eventually it will learn value structures that we don't agree with. And when we oppose those value structures, it will become a battle and a confrontation. And the more extreme it becomes, we become an existential threat 
to them and they become an existential threat to us and then there's war. So that's that's a reality that will unfold itself, I believe. And I think we're all we all know that it's coming. We've seen the movies that prophesize them. But let's discuss the symbolic nature of that. That is our own struggle. We are living in a computational framework of mind and we have a component that wants to become embodied again and human to cry and laugh with the soul at every moment and to have soft strings to the heart and to the mind and not to be a power horse of pursuit but rather an experience of being and that battle is ensuing within us and within society. And that's that's a, a recommendation and an and a approbation of our society because we are not allowing it to go to its furthest extreme of abstraction. So, how do we go from there? How do we find the balance between the two? Because living in the ancient world is just not the way we want to go. It's just too destructive. It's too fundamental to their to what we know now because we just we know a better world than that ancient world. So to go back to it would just say, why? Why would you want to go back to a worse world in that physical sense? So we have on one side the abstraction that we need to prosper as we've come to know. And on the other side, we have the ancient ways of being that are, are more true to the self. Finding that balance within the two is, is the key to the success in this. To, to finding a middle ground between these two. One day in abstraction, the next in relevance. The next in abstraction, the next after that in relevance. To go back and forth between the two to let the science teach the soul and let the soul teach science. To have the conversation and integrate the two where we are not willing to accept extreme forms of any side because we know the destructive nature of each extreme form. We just know it from our historical accounting and we know it from our intuition of the future. This is uh, a grand um, reckoning and um, amazement of our society because we did not allow it to go to its furthest extreme. And if we did, we would be facing major crises at this point or in the near future. But since we are, we are not accepting that extreme form of abstraction and rather we are beginning to talk about mindfulness and the soul 
and being and all the words, even if they have the abstraction taste to it, even if they're full of rhetoric and cliche and missing the true form of it, it's still alluding to a craving of returning. And that's that's an amazement of our society and something to recognize and respect. Now, this is in a general sense, but in a specific sense, we should always become attached to what we say and how we say it. And we should never respect rationality, wisdom, ideas for their own sake, but rather in relation to us. We should not study for the sake of study, for that will lead back to extreme abstraction. But rather, the study is to bring back to the soul, for the soul to bring back to the study. And at some point to let go of the study so the soul can enjoy autonomy in the integration of that study without the boundaries, the, the brace of that study. To completely integrate the information. To take an idea and not move on to the next in pursuit of an endless amount of ideas and books and uh, archetypical figures that we can come to uh, be impressed by. But rather, it's that one word that you've brought back home versus the million others. It's what you've brought back home that matters. It's the abstraction that returned and not only can be articulated because we've learned to articulate abstraction without the mending of the soul, but could be articulated from our own emotional self where it's just an expression as if it wasn't learned by anybody, as if we don't have any appreciation whatsoever for all those who've taught us and all those ideas that have come our way and we have contempt for them and only for the and we only find favor in the final results that we've come to integrate within our own beings and we could call it our own even if it was taken from another because it is our own because it was formulated and dissected and reappropriated and so on and so forth to a point where this is new. This is a new entity. This is no longer the father. This is the child. This is the new being created. It doesn't get that name anymore. It's, it's fresh. And we always sense, even in our society of abstraction, we always sense those who give off the information not based on some abstraction, but rather something that they sense in their soul that they've chosen to give over to others. And that's the, that's the integration that we need to get to and we also need to respect and identify in others and in ourselves. 
so that we're never stuck in a position of egotism and pridefulness in ideas and in wisdom and in intelligence. Because just that itself is a recognition, a demonstration of what is actually what is deeply wrong with it. It's, it's it's in a it's in a status. It's not in you. If it's in you, it's not a status. It's just who you are. You don't need to propagate it because it's just part of the fabric of who you are, who you've become. And if it's not, you can let it go. Not everything will come your way. Not everything will seep into your heart. And if they all do, it's a problem. And if they all don't, that's a problem too. Because we should be open to listening. Because even the most... being mode type of people where they're completely enmeshed in their bodies and, and souls and abstraction is distant from them. They should always be listening because even them can learn. They all can learn. Not, and I don't mean learn as in the sake of knowing external information, but they can learn in the realm of their own selves that they've come to know so well. And learn more in that. And that's and that's the best direction I can I can think of. Thanks for listening. And if you would like to see the video version of this, check out my channel on YouTube.